G'day and welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. As always, I just want to say thank you to anyone who tuned in to any of these episodes. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Nipalota people. We extend our respects to all the country that you're listening to our podcast on. Now, we're sitting in a bar. Don't worry, it's early in the day. There's not too many drinks getting around, but we are at the Australian Dairy Conference. I'm joined by Stephen Fisher. And boy, has this fella got a story. At the age of 16, Stephen walked away from the family farming business and pursued other avenues for himself. But that itch of farming came back to him, but the opportunity to go back into the family farm was no longer there. Stephen says he enjoys sharing his story, but doesn't enjoy self-promotion. And I hope you guys enjoy his story today, because what Stephen's done through Circular Head Farms was create opportunities for himself, for other farmers, and also for his local community to grow their own wealth through land ownership while also running their dairy farms. His journey has taken a few twists and turns. It certainly wasn't just a straightforward way to get there. Even at one stage, he walked away from the dairy industry. But today, he's firmly in it. And so I thought before I had Stephen on the panel, I'd sit down with him, get to know a little bit about him and his story. So this is our chat. Stephen, I think we're at the dairy conference. When we had a phone call a few weeks ago, really really interested in your story and i thought we need to unpack that a little bit more because it, one one thing we're going to focus on in the coming months in humans of agriculture is around next gen agriculture and that's obviously technologies and whatever else but really focused in on people and i think the way that you think and have done things is is pretty different um and it's had some pretty cool outcomes as well down here but firstly if you were if you were to meet me down at the pub how, how would you introduce yourself yeah, look, I'd probably just say oh, I'm a farmer. Um, I probably st- I still see myself as a farmer, even though I'm not actively hands-on on the farm, but still very much see myself as a farmer, as a farm boy. Do you miss the farming side? Not really. Um, no, I still enjoy getting out on farm, but I don't miss milking the cows. I suppose my my aim was ne- my love was never to milk cows. My aim was always to grow a business and to see that succeed and to, to come into some land ownership not necessarily milk the cows. I do that because I had to do it. <laughs> that was the, the means to an end. That's it, that's it. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up. You're a, a Tasmanian native, as you said. Yeah, look, I grew up on a, uh, a small farm um, in a place called Wilmot. Uh, Mum and Dad had a 135-acre farm there. We were milking 60 cows. And uh, um, so when I was 16, um, my dad's health was never real good. And when I was 16, my brother was home from school running the farm and I left school. I left school at the end of year 10. And I remember mum and dad sitting me down and saying, um, do, you, do you want to come back onto the farm with your brother and take it over? And as quick as they offered that, I said, no, thank you. Um, I just felt I didn't get on well enough with my brother at that time. And, and it was a small farm and I just felt it wasn't for me at that time. So I just moved on, moved away from the farm and... Uh, and my brother took the farm over and I just went and worked in agribusiness uh, from then on for the next 15 years. And so at 16 years old, was it a pretty obvious pathway for you and, and where you wanted to go into agribusiness? Or like, what did that actually, actually look like? I look, to be honest, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I just, it was the first job that was offered to me. I'd applied for a couple of apprenticeships, um, but honestly had no idea uh, what path I was going to take. And so that opportunity came up and I just stepped into it and, and uh, then worked in various roles within that company over the next 15 years. 
did you sit there and wonder at different times? Like 15 years is a pretty long time to be doing something and at 16 years old is a really young time to say no to something that's probably as significant now as a farm is. Well, did you question yourself? Yeah, I, not really until I got married and I got married at 25 and then, and then the desire to own land again really surfaced. I thought, well, I've, I've got a family now, I've got a wife, we're going to have children. How do I get land back into my family and because uh, at the time I was working as a field officer so I was um, we were in an export onion industry and uh, so I was traveling around talking to farmers on farm and and that really brought the urge back for me to say well how do I get land back in our family again after I'd let that opportunity go and I uh, didn't regret letting it go for one minute but uh, certainly the desire grew to actually get land back in the family. When you say like the desire, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Why was it so important? I think that saying where you can take the you take the boy out of the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy. Yeah, I think that's just so so true in a lot of cases. And for me, that was just the case. Like it was just something inherent there that I just wanted to pursue it. And you had this time off farm as, and started to get a bit of a business brain and perspective from outside. Was it you were coming back to milk cows, or did you have a bigger bigger dream? Yeah, look, I, I never ever came back. I always told my wife I'd never be a dairy farmer. <laughs> she <laughs> not marry one either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, uh, as part of my work as a as a field officer, um, they wanted me to go and do some sort of training, like, and so I went and did a, uh, an applied science in agriculture course through the TAFE system uh, while I still worked, and it was that course that uh, the dairy subjects really really turned the lights on for me and, and talking to a couple of guys that were in that course that were doing that course and doing the dairy subjects they were share farmers and and they were on that pathway to owning a herd of cows and and then on to the, to the path of owning land and and for me it just turned the lights on and as i did the pasture management subjects and those things i could see here's a way that with good management good pasture management we can we can potentially go on this journey ourselves and and build equity in cattle and then potentially go on and buy a farm one day. And so that was, that was what really drew me then to dairy farming. And rewinding the clock to that, those kinds of times, what were you thinking all those things were possible? I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I had no idea. Um, it was just, I could see, I could see a path and, and I just felt it was right for us to pursue it. And so how did you, how did you pursue it? Where did you start? So I remember applying um, for, for a role, for a share farming role, actually with my brother. So um, we decided we'd pursue a larger farm together. At this stage, I was, got on a lot better with him as we got older and matured a little bit. And, and I remember we applied for a, uh, a 400 cow share farming position. It was when the New Zealanders first came in and, and started to develop the Woolnorth property and bought a number of farms in Circular Head. And, we thought, well, we'd, we'd apply for a 400 cow farm and thought for two families, that'd be great. And we went to the interview and at the interview, uh, the first interview we had, they, they said, look, if you look at a 750 cow farm, you'll most likely get the job. Um, and so for us, that was a big stretch coming from 60 cows at Wilmot to, to milking 750 cows. But, but lo and behold, we actually got the job and, <laughs> and that's where we started. Yeah. A very silly question, and I'm glad I'm asking you in a quiet space at a dairy conference. Size of herds, what's normal, what's big, what's small? Yeah, probably back at those times, 
in Tassie, and this is just off the top of my head, but I'd say the herd average was probably maybe 200, 220, 250 cows at that time. So 700, 750 cows was, was then a, quite a big herd. But looking back on it, I see it as the best thing we did was we started with big numbers. So, you know, I'd say it's just another number on a calculator. And But it, what it did teach us was we had to develop systems to manage um, a herd that size. And so... So for me, starting off with that was was um, was fantastic. I'm really interested in the business structure side of things. You, you, your brother and yourself hadn't worked together for some time, probably ever since you were really family. How did you actually structure your business up for someone else? So we started up. We we formed a company, and we so we share farmed in that company, and we both worked, and both families worked for that company, and were paid a wage out of that company. We did that for two years, and then in the third year, the farm next door um, became available, and so Karen and I uh, applied for that role and were successful in getting that share farming position. And so that's when Karen and I moved onto that farm, and my brother and his wife stayed on on the um, on the farm, the original farm that we we started on. And was that the beginning of Circular Head Farms, or was this still just farming? From- no, nah, this was um, just just a step in our apprenticeship, really. So we we just. It was, our, it was our learning uh, phase, and so we we did three years on that farm on our own, mm-hmm. and um, and it was at, towards the end of that time we actually leased a small farm, and uh, you know things didn't go quite how you planned. So sometimes the learning experiences in life come through uh, through hardships, and uh, you know things weren't quite going how we planned. I was pushing really hard to I had this goal of owning land, and thought the harder I worked the easier it would be to own land and and uh yeah so towards the end of that uh three-year period sort of decided no let's take a different approach here we started to question why we were doing what we were doing and uh and actually we decided to take a whole different look at outlook on life and we we took a trip around australia for three years with our children we'd had three small children at that stage so that was a pretty uh a, a pretty uh interesting time that is a big question and it's something which comes up a lot around that why are we doing what we're doing what was the answer that kind of that got you to land on why you decided to head off yeah look i think i think i was just so focused on where i wanted to be and probably uh, unfortunately family were taking second place we had you know a wife and three smaller children and un- unconsciously i was probably putting our pathway ahead in front of our family. And, and I could see that that was going to end in tears if I kept pursuing that pathway. And so so it was actually, let's pull up stumps, let's reevaluate, let's go and have uh, family time and do a working holiday around Australia without any need to come back. So we packed everything we had in a 20-foot container, sat it on someone's lawn, and we, we headed off and had nothing to pull us back to Tasmania if we didn't want to come back. Bloody hell, that's a hell of an adventure. <laughs> it was fantastic. And look, our kids will say now it's still the best time in their lives. Like they just had a ball. And we all did as a family. Like, and it just it just cemented our relationships together as a family. What do you think you started to realise as you were out and about there as a family and working on other people's places? Um, I think family's got to come first. Like, you know... Some things in life are more important than pursuing a career or a you know, business or wealth. 
Is it? You know, and and ultimately, ultimately, what happened is, I think, for me certainly, I got a different perspective on life, and it was one that involved family. Not wasn't wasn't something that I had to pursue myself, and family took second place. It was when we came back into farming, we came back in as, as a family and and pursued it as a family. And I'm I'm now getting really curious about what drew you back in because three years is a long time on the mainland you decided it's not as good up there as what it is down here or something <laughs> yeah look um it's, it was interesting um we're actually managing a campsite just out of melbourne yeah, right. and we've been doing that for just over 12 months yeah but it was the farming the farming bug started to grow in me again and i started to pursue some opportunities and, and look around and but one thing I always said, if we're going to dairy farm and we want to raise our kids in a really great community, there's actually one place that I know that we can do both those things. Mm-hmm. And it was back in Circular Head in the Smithton area in far northwest Tasmania. And it was quite ironic. I, I actually bought a weekly times one day and I didn't hardly ever bought a weekly times. And, and in it, there was a job advertised and it was a share farming position. And I knew the position and I knew that it was the sort of job that I rec- there would be a lot of satisfaction and a lot of opportunity in because I, I didn't want to come back into dairy farming just to milk cows. I wanted to come back in and grow a business and and there were some things that I wanted to try in dairying that, that in the previous role weren't possible. Mm-hmm. But I knew this position would make that, would, it would be possible to do that. And so I rung the farm owner up and um, the rest is history. We were given that position and we had to buy a herd of cows. So that was our first journey into equity in, in the farm. So we bought, bought a herd of cows with a whole lot of debt and I think we started with 20% equity and, and away we went. Put a lot on the line for that. Looking back, you know, you, yeah, yeah, we did. We did. But we're very fortunate and, and it, it went really well for us. So I'm curious about the where you're saying that there were things you wanted to try in dairy that you couldn't do, but the model you chose was to go and work as a share farmer for someone. And I think I'm thinking of this as someone who has had zero to do with dairy. And this model seems really unique. Whereas I think you're either like an employee or an owner. So that share farming model, how does it kind of work? Yeah, look, the position that we finished up in, um, it was one where it was an absentee farm owner, um, so, so really, we were responsible to run the farm as if it was our own. Um, because we owned the cattle, it gave us opportunity to, um, to do some things around cattle that within a system where someone else owns the cattle, you're pretty limited in what you can do and, and even how you feed those cattle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we went from a 100% grass system to here having the ability to feed some supplement and, and those were sort of some of the things I wanted to explore um, but also to build a herd of cows that were our own. And then um, around building a herd of cows, there's a whole lot of different opportunities in, in how you mate those cows, in, in rearing the young stock, in growing your equity through the young stock that were really appealing to me. Begs me to ask, why dairy farming if you didn't want to milk cows and, and get up early? <laughs> um, look, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know another... Um, pathway in agriculture that could propel us forward like dairy farming can um, just with that ability to build equity in in, in stock in cattle mm-hmm. um, 
I'm not saying you can't do it in, in other forms of agriculture, but I, I just not aware of any other form of agriculture you can do in quite like dairy. It just offers the opportunity. And you position yourself as you're a businessman. Like, are you, are you passionate about business? Are you passionate about dairy? Are you, what are you passionate about? Um, look, I, I was, I certainly was very passionate about getting, um, the opportunity to have land, to own land. So I'm very passionate about that. But I guess as I've, um, gone along the journey a little bit more, I'm probably now more passionate to see the same opportunities we were given, given to other young people. And so, so as, as corporate farming's become more, um, pronounced in our community, you know, more and more corporate farms, that opportunity's become less and less. And so for me, I'm really passionate about saying, how can we continue to give the next generation the same opportunities that we had, that, that unfortunate enough to have family equity behind them, but how can we see them progress in the industry? Which is super interesting because it is something we hear of, and I think it'll come into part of our conversation as part of the event here around what is possible. And at the moment, there is a lot of talk of, oh, it's impossible for someone to get in and start their own farm. Like, were these similar conversations that were happening for you at the time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We, we were very, very fortunate in, in our second year of share farming on that farm as a 50-50 share farmer, that the farm actually changed hands. And the first, the first owners were brilliant. But the second owners came in and there were two New Zealand, um, two New Zealanders in a partnership that bought that farm. And they came over and they said, look, we'd love to buy a runoff block or a, a dairy support block, um, but we'd love you to be a part owner in it. And I just said, look, I've got no equity. You know, we, we've got 20% equity and, you know, we're, we're flat broke really from an equity point of view. And, and they said, oh, that's all right. And, and, uh, and on the way from, from home to the accounts going with them, you know, I said, look, we'll, we could probably do 30%, a, th a third equity partnership. And on the way to the accountants, they suggested that we actually do a 50% equity partnership because we were on a 50-50 share farming agreement and all the costs were the same, which, which made a whole lot of sense. Mm. But I did have to remind them that I had no equity. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but that was fine. And so that that gave us our first leg into land ownership by them providing the equity. We we still had to pay our share of the, the cost. There was no financial handout, but there certainly was huge assistance in the ability to use their equity. And and for that, I managed the property. They provided the equity. What was it about those kinds of people that they backed you and, and did that? Like, how did it make sense to them to go into an arrangement like that? I'd love to know. <laughs> I'd love to know. They, in my mind, they were people before their time. Okay. You know, in my mind, they were people before their time. And I'm not, I'm not sure that they really had a clear understanding of where it was going to go either. Yeah. But I know it was, uh, it was only one or two years after that, that I, I thanked them very much and said, I, I'd now love to have a stake in a dairy farm. Yeah. And they said to me, uh, you better go and find one. I rang them up two weeks later and I said, I think I've found the farm. And they said, oh, that's good. We'll be over it shortly to, we'll come and have a look. They came over, we had to drive around the farm and their comment was, you better go and negotiate something. And so they were putting an awful lot of faith in me, but um, I, I, I had to remind them that I had no equity and they said, that's all right, we'll do it the same way. Um, 
And so we went, the long and the short of it, we actually went and bought the dairy farm um, in, a, in a 50-50 equity partnership with them. So they provided the equity, we managed it. And we, we you know, so they never had anything to do with the management of that property, but they provided the equity, which is for us was just such a huge um, lift in our business. Yeah. And it, it put us put us right out there. If you, if you looked at our equity position, uh, it put us right out there. But, but we were just very fortunate uh, that, that that farm went really well for us. We stayed in that uh, arrangement for uh, two or three years, and then that, they were looking to exit Australia. And so we, we purchased their share of the dairy farm. We were able then to, to be able to borrow enough uh, money from the bank to purchase their share of the equity in that dairy fund. Mm-hmm. And then in the next short while, we actually did the same with the runoff block. So we purchased their share of the runoff block as well. So so not only did we, we were milking a thousand cows by then on, on our share farming role, it took us up to then milking 500 cows on our own farm and also a lease block. Very short on equity. But really strong on cash flow, and so the, sh- the cash flow from our share farming position really helped us. But but just as we agreed to buy the um, the share of the runoff, we had the GFC. So we went from um, fairly comfortable position to uh, our milk check being cut by forty percent from the first of February. So had two or three sleepless nights and uh, thought, well, um, yeah, that was good while it was going good, but but where do we go now? And so. So that was that was a really uh, good learning experience for us in in persevering through the tough times, um, but we were really fortunate we were able to sell the runoff block, and and that lowered our debt position and but we were able to lease it back, and so we saved considerable money by the interest rate we were locked in at versus the lease payment we had. So that but that was a decision that really helped us and just freed our cash flow up and. But the other thing about the dairy farm we had that I, I try and apply now is that we actually we actually wanted to put root, just good people. We wanted good people, not necessarily the best dairy farmers. And we had a couple that I saw them at every event. They never managed to farm. They never share farmed, but they were really good people and they were hungry to learn and and just really wanted to to come in and manage and share farming. And so we gave those those people the opportunity to, to run that second property. And through that period, that downturn, like we were able to have a phenomenal relationship with them where they they did what they needed to do to help us through that period of time. And you know, and that's what good people do for you. They just do what they have to do. Where probably the best dairy farmers or the smartest business people would, would say, here's an opportunity to screw them over. But they were actually, what do we need to do to help you through this? Yeah, and um, I never forgot that. And so, what that taught me was, you just need good people in your business, and you just empower them to do the job. Because the year we had the GFC, we went straight into a winter where we had eighty-seven wet days out of ninety. So we had eighty-seven rain, rain days out of ninety through that following winter, and it just got so wet. And and there were farms in the district that just turned to mud. Yeah, but we just kept. You know, doing the basics and, and feeding cows and and I never once I never once actually drove onto their farm to check, but I'd keep on the phone saying, Are you right? What do we need to do? And and they managed that 
we did it really, really well. Yeah, wow. And that farm then went on to, to continue to make a profit. And so that, what that taught me was get good people and empower them to do the job and let them do the job. And um, and that's the philosophy we, we try to, to, to carry into Circular Head Farms today. I'm keen to jump into that in a second. I've got one question which is sitting right at the front of my mind. But the belief that the guys from New Zealand had in you, the, the investors, to do it, did they create belief in yourself or did, were you sitting there at times going, what are these guys thinking? I don't know what I'm doing or like, what was the self-talk going on in your head during all of this? Yeah, I guess, I guess had a fairly strong self-belief yeah. and a belief in what we were doing in our farming system. And, 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 and I guess we just, we just won the dairy business of the year award. And, and I know that's not everything, but it certainly it certainly gives you a belief that you're on, might not, might not be the best track, but you're on a fairly solid track. And and for the, the banking and accounting, that they love those sorts of things. And so it also gave them a lot of confidence to back us. And so I think, yeah, look, probably just had uh, really good people around us and, and a fairly strong self-belief. But also a, a willpower to say, when we've got to put our head down and work through this, we had that ability to do that. And I think doing it as a family um, really helped us through those times. That was going to be my other question. You you really, like your low equity holdings, everything on the line, did you, you took time out from farming previously because you were going too hard at it. What was different this time? I think the whole, the whole mindset of being driven to own a farm, what, that wasn't the driver. The driver was, um, we've got an opportunity to come in here and run a farm and run it really well, and and we'll just take each step as it comes. We didn't go in with an agenda, and I think I think that made a fair difference in our minds, in my mindset anyway. That we don't have any agenda yet, but but I, I also had a belief that it could propel us forward in a fairly significant way. So my motivation wasn't purely I've got to buy a farm. And you were building this business and this model. Tell me about when this nearly community-funded agriculture journey began. Yes, so to take one step back, um, when, when the two guys exited um, and, and, and took their equity back to New Zealand, the two decisions that they made around funding us into a runoff block and also into a dairy farm when we bought them out, they probably took somewhere between two and three million dollars out of those two decisions. So they'd probably made in excess of two million dollars purely by backing us with some equity. That that uh, don't take this the wrong way, but they never worked for it, but they backed us. No. And so that that actually taught me that these things can be win-win. Like they're not all one way; they can be win-win. We did really well out of it. But so did they, and so um, so they were the sort of philosophies then around people and and the ability to provide a pathway to back good people. That another another the other philosophies that we've taken into circular head farms. That if we prepared to back really good people, allow them to grow their business, they will also grow our business, and we will attract good people into our business. And 
that part of attracting good people may be easier said than done, but talk me through the early days of Circular Head Farm and how you guys actually got going, finding the good people, finding investors, etc. Yeah, look, it probably started with, um, with me coming home from the dairy one morning and I, I came in and said to Karen, I've got a good idea. And she just looked at me and she said, not another one. <laughs> well, no, it was probably just, I've got an idea actually. Yeah. No, it was good or bad at the time. But she just looked at me and said, not another one. And then I went on to tell her about, you know, like, cause in our area at the time, um, we could just see this, the corporate, the corporate, um, world was starting to circle a little bit and, and a lot of foreign corporate investment looking to come into agriculture. And I was actually offered a position or, um, our, our local state manager, um, bank manager just sounded me out about a, a position around um, a European fund, $300 billion, $300 million, wanted to invest in dairy and see whether I'd be interested in running it. And, and as quick as he asked, my answer was, if it's profit focused, I'm not interested. If they're people focused, I might consider it. But then that set me on this journey of thinking about a bit about that. And this morning milking, I was just starting to think, well, if I would consider it for a foreign corporate outfit, why wouldn't I do that for our own community? Yeah, we have a lot of super funds, a lot of, there's a lot of money sitting in our own community. And I've got no doubt that people in our community want to see our land locally owned. And so, so I went on the journey then over the next 12 months or so, talking to different people about that, about that concept and talking to people that I thought probably was smart enough to, um, to get something like that off the ground and, and everyone thought it was a great idea, but then you just get the blank look. And so, so a a farm came up, uh, in our area and I just knew it was the right farm for us to start this whole thing off. And so, um, we'd actually sold our dairy farm by this time. So our, um, the dairy farm we'd bought, so we'd actually sold it. So we were in a position where we could, we could jump on something pretty quick if we wanted to. And, and this farm came up, um, and I rang a friend of mine was also the local bank manager and our bank manager. And I said to him, look, I've got this idea. I think I've either got to do something or I've got to shut up about it. And so he, so he came on the journey with me then of, of sounding out some people and, uh, we put an offer in on the farm and we were successful in it. So, so Karen and I actually bought the property in the name of Circled Farming Trust and, um, but set it up in a unit trust so that, um, when we got all the paperwork and everything sorted out then we could sell off units to local people that were interested in. And so over the next oh, two or three months. I just talked to people about what we were doing and people that expressed an interest in it or um, we just invited them to an investor information night once we had all the all the paperwork and the legals set up and we just put it out there and we were uh, looking to raise $2 million at that initial um, investment night and we were oversubscribed on that first night. And so for me, I think 10 people invested and we took on $2 million. And so we kept a 25% stake in the farm, but we sold off 75% at cost price, mind you, to, um, to those that were interested in, and that was the start of Circulate Farms. Was there any part of you that held back 
information about it, telling people about what your idea was in fear of someone else jumping on it, or did you just tell anyone and everyone? And um, look, I wasn't. I was, actually wasn't worried, and still not today, worried about other people jumping on the idea. Because I think if if we get more land community owned, we retain more wealth in our communities, whether that's in Northwest Tassie or in Gippsland or wherever it might be. I I just love other people to do it, you know, and. Um, but but I guess when we were oversubscribed that night, I, it just gave me the confidence that this is probably going to work. Yeah, this is going to be all right. And and I guess for me, it was very much a prototype. Like let's let's dip a toe in the water and let's just see how it goes. But part of me also knew that it, it was going to work. I had no doubt. Yeah, because it was the journey we'd already lived, and so I, I wasn't concerned about it not working. But I had to prove to a community that it could work. And you're bringing together, I think you've talked about that it was the community side of things that brought you back into that part of the world, but getting people from your community to invest in something could have repercussions. So what were the, how did you set it up and what were the learnings of how you actually structured it to make sure that it was all above board and professional? Yeah, so one of the first meetings we had was with our local solicitor and, uh, and so we engaged him then to, to, to do the, 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 all the paperwork around it, along with our accountants to set up the trust. And, and actually our, our, our local solicitor at the first, the first meeting we had with him, he just came away from him and he said, you know, he said, that's the best business lunch I've had in a long, long time. He just loved the concept. You know? And I, and I thought then, well, for us, for our solicitors to say that, that gives it a big tick in my, in my world. But I suppose we framed like the stakeholder agreement and that for me, it was about the whole thing's about fairness. What's fair and what's fair for our share farmer? What's fair for our unit holder? Where's the fair place in that? What would I expect as a share farmer and what would I expect as an investor? Because for us then, I'd already come through the share farming journey. I knew, I knew what I wanted as a share farmer, but now I was an investor and I knew what I wanted as an investor as well. And so... So the whole thing was modelled out of what, what's fair, you know, what do I want? And as an investor, what do I want as a share farmer? Yeah. And where did that take you from there? So, so we've just gradually built the business. So it's, you know, I've never ever had an ambition of being the biggest corporate dairy farmer in the district or, you know, no ambition around how big we get. It was about how much community support is there to back this? And so, so we, we will we will take it out as far as the community wants to back it, and and if the community doesn't want to back it, we won't raise any money. We won't buy a farm, but if the community wants to back it, people want to invest, then we'll continue to take opportunities, sound business opportunities. Not no, it's not a charity; it is a business. So we've got to make sound decisions, mm-hmm. but we will take it um, as far as we need to. And and I think I think starting small and just gradually building really helped us to um, just to get some of those things right in the business, just to give it a really solid foundation. So we never we never jumped in too big too early and and drowned ourselves, but actually gave us opportunity to grow with the business. Yeah, which in hindsight was really important. What would you change if you had your time over again? Would have started it ten years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> then you wouldn't have got your trip around Australia. No, <laughs> <laughs> nah, look, I, I just, I just look back on it, and, and I just consider we were very, very, very fortunate with our own journey. And I'm just so thankful that we started circulate farms when we did, because as land prices then started to, you know, the, the industry started to land prices firmed, it would have become harder and harder to start them, especially. We, we were able to start before a lot of the corporate money came in. And so that, that gave us a really good um, uh, study point. Prices weren't overinflated. Uh, where once prices really started to move, it would have been harder to attract that investment. And so for you guys, where you stand today, where what is your footprint like? What is the business aspirations from today and into the future? Yeah, look, we... Um, so today we are uh, own 11 farms, milking 8,500 cows, and we've got uh, about 4,000 acres of dairy support land that we is in varying stages of conversion. Some of it's into pasture, some of it's actually still got plantation trees waiting to harvest, um, and, and that'll actually also down the track give us potential to do some dairy conversion um, on some of that property as well. And we are looking at other opportunities for acquisition as well, um, as we speak. And always, you mentioned, always about finding good people. How do you maintain that you continue to do that in, in the dairy industry where the discussion has been about people leaving the industry in, in droves? Does that create opportunity for you? I always said, I, I actually don't believe we've got a people problem. I believe we've got an opportunity problem. And so for me, it's about create the right opportunity that attracts people to your business. For me, I was never going to come back to dairy just to build cows. I was going to come back to, to, to build a business. For our first share farmer, he came out of a building, the building seat. He was never going to come into our business to milk cows. He came into dairy to build a business. And so that says to me, we've got to offer that opportunity for people to come into dairy, not just to milk cows for us, because that's convenient for us. We've got to we've got to offer the opportunity for them to grow their own business, and and for them to be able to establish themselves to a point that even they may be going to buy land or buy a dairy farm or you know, establish something for their own family. It's a pretty special place to be where you are helping build other people's wealth and prosperity, and I guess purpose in their job too. Yeah, yeah. Look, it is, but but we've done very well out of it too. Like it's not a one-way street. It's a win-win. It's, it's a win-win, and but it has to be. You know, it, anything that all goes one way isn't sustainable. And so, for me, our unit holders have done extremely well out of out of this little journey that we've been on. But but all our all our share farmers to date have some level of equity in cows, and so so for them, they're on the journey of. You know, coming into herd ownership, and and even one has taken a, a share in one of the dairy farms. So for them, it's it's about them also on the journey to build wealth and create something for their own family. But we've all done really well out of it. Do you see a a day in the future where the community owns it and you, Stephen, have stepped away from it? Um, yeah. Look, we, we have actually got an operations manager in place now. So we, we operate as a board. So there's a board of directors, of which I am one. Um, and that's really around governance because we've got to have good governance. 
is that we do have a board in place um, uh, for people on that board. And now, as the business has grown, it, it, initially it was me, but now it's outgrown myself. And so we have that operations manager in place. But I see that's a very important step in our journey because it starts to take us on that sustainable business model. Yeah, becomes it becomes bigger than you, doesn't it? Yeah, and it had to do that. It had yeah. to do that because in in the early days, one comment was, "That's all right, while well, you're still involved," but for me, it was about I want to set a culture that people see works, and so then um, when they see it work, it's why change it. Yeah. Now that might be a little bit optimistic on my point, but the reality is that's my role now. Is actually how do I how do I ensure that that can culture that we've created is maintained that's purely my role yeah. are you just as excited today as what you were at the beginning absolutely and and as i see people share farmers starting to step into 50 50 um owning the herds and like i say one one share farmer with an investment inland that excites me to see people we want to set people up to succeed yeah that's the motivation in it it's an incredible story I've I've got a question um, which I ask everyone who comes on the podcast and I think your your insight will be really interesting but if you get the chance to talk to a bunch of your 10 students who don't have an affiliation to agriculture why should they look at a career in agriculture as something as an opportunity anything's possible in agriculture anything's possible in daring just dream you know just find that entrepreneurial spark that's there and feed it and and daring and agriculture offers the opportunity to, to take that somewhere into the future with circular arms i see you know it, it's great for us to have a step into cow ownership but as land prices have uh, have increased and we're all aware of that i believe i believe there's another step that we need to have in our system in which to encourage and take people on the journey of farm ownership and that is exactly the same opportunity we were given is how do we how do we provide some equity in the land for our share farmers then to become attached to the land value as it increases and so we've talked about that as a board don't have the answer yet but i believe it's going to be an important part of us moving forward is how how can we do that uh, yeah well, that takes you out of the bet playing the commodity game, doesn't it? Yep, yep, yeah, and it and it stops that playing trying to play catch up with land values for our share farmers. Yeah, like once we get them locked into land value, um, then then their equity goes up with the land value. Yeah. Now, how we do that? Bearing in mind we've got unit holders that have invested their money into it. Yeah, there's there's a lot to take into account in that, but I believe it's going to be a significant step forward if we can do it. That's really exciting. That's cool. Do you think, one last question, is there any other areas of agriculture that this model can be replicated and work in, do you think? Um, yeah, I've been asked to go to a cropping, uh, a cropping uh, um, uh, meeting to just to put, the, put the, our model out to the cropping farmers. And, I, and my, my comment to them is, I can tell you how it works in dairy because I'm familiar with it. It'll be up to you how you apply and incentivise it in cropping. Um, uh, so people in beef or cropping, 
I see no reason why it can't work. Yeah. I don't understand those industries well enough. But if you've got the right attitude about we want this to be fair to everyone, I'm sure it can work. Well, I think what I really like about um, your piece, and it comes back to it's about good people as both the investor as the operator as everything that sits within that because as soon as one part of that comes out of kilter, then the system would yeah. fall apart. At the very first investor night, I remember so clearly, and I couldn't believe myself saying it, but I did, and I stand by it, and I, and I often say to our AGMs now, that if, if, if you're invested here for profit, go somewhere else. If you believe in our values of retaining local ownership and helping people build equity in this industry, have a look at it as the investment. If you're here for profit, go somewhere else. And it's those values that are so important that ironically, it's actually those values that our unit holders want to invest in. Mm. Profit certainly has come, but they're investing for the values. Create something good yeah. and the profit will come from it. And that's what gives me a lot of confidence. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you for coming and having a chat. Pleasure. Well, I hope you got a bit out of that. I think the thing that sticks out for me is that Stephen is always about people ahead of profit. That with good people, you can create a business that is absolutely humming and create opportunities not just for yourself, but for others as well. If you enjoyed our podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. Rate, review it, and hit follow, and we will see you soon.